It's Monday. It's midnight. It's my top ten. Um, I know the odds are probably pretty small that it's actually Monday at midnight when you're listening to this, but it just seems like a fun thing to say. Joining me this week, if he were a musician, we'd say he were a multi-instrumentalist. Um, I don't know if he can play any instruments, but for the purpose of this podcast, he is a multimediaist. Uh, sounds a bit wrong. He could do lots of things, and from what I've seen, he's very good at all of them. He can direct stage and screen. He can stand up himself. And his Turtle Canyon production company churns out films and sketches at a prolific rate on YouTube, so check that out. If you don't know who I'm talking about yet, and the clue was in the actual title of the podcast, so duh you if you don't know, it's Stuart Laws. However I introduce Stuart, I feel like I'm doing him a disservice. He's written for Radio 4, he's written a play, he's performed nine full shows, including the current Stuart Laws is All In. He's got online sitcoms, he directed Sweet Home Kettering the James Acaster series, and you know Acaster's four Netflix specials? Stuart Laws directed them bad boys too. And he's done so much more that I couldn't even possibly mention in this small intro section I've got. Just look him up on the internet. I don't think he ever sleeps. I met Stuart at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We hung out and recorded this after one of his gigs at Monkey Barrel. And we were kindly given some space by Alex. Thank you, Alex. Much appreciated. Um, However, because it was such packed venue in terms of gigs, um, we're in the storeroom, which was fine. It was a good space, but there's a slight hum of a fridge um, to begin with. Uh, Then my memory card filled up. So it's on the backup record for four minutes. Please stick with it. It's not not long uh, that we're on the backup for. And then when I realised we were back up and running on the primary recording device, a big old freezer next to us kicked in. So we had a bit of buzz from that. However, I think uh, Stuart's more than interesting enough to stick with through those minor technical glitches. So without further ado, Here's the show. episode it was just them two and a baby yeah joining me this week on my top 10 podcast is Stuart Laws hello Stuart hello how are you I'm very good thank you yourself I'm very well we're currently three weeks into the Edinburgh Festival yep we're in a stock room surrounded by old Mount Cider and let's hope they send us some just yeah that would be nice that'd be lovely pineapple and raspberry looks interesting and we're on a timer here so let's get through the the furniture of the program as quickly as we can and okay. get to the meat of the show so uh describe your uh, give me your life story in three sentences uh oh okay uh life story in three sentences uh little shy boy played in goal now does comedy <laughs> you've got to be a certain type of person to play in goal haven't you yeah yeah i think you get your bruce grubbelars your peter schmeichels you get sort of pretty m- mad people who are willing to throw themselves at the feet of enormous men. That seems 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 like a reasonable way to spend your life. Oh, yeah. If a little crazy. Yeah. Um so the next question, and I feel a little crazy asking this, because you've got so many branches, uh, so many paths to your career that mm. you follow. Um so when I ask for three career highlights, uh okay. Uh I made a TV show um, that went out last uh, November, I think it was. It was a stand-up comedy show for BBC, and I, my company co-produced it with another company called Little Wonder, and 
uh, I directed it and it was a very it was an exciting thing to be like oh we've actually got something out there that has got our name on it properly that we had been in charge of from beginning to end um, other thing probably was James Acaster's Netflix series so I've been friends with James from on the comedy circuit for you know 10 11 years we gig together I've supported him on tour we've made web series together and then he got the Netflix series and he fought to get my company to make it and I produced it and then it went out and everyone around the world absolutely loved it and he's sort of gone stratospheric with his career and it's sort of a real delight that that's happened for him um, I guess moving into Pinewood we moved into Pinewood Studios my company um, when when we were pretty young and that was quite an exciting moment uh, I haven't done anything from my own stand-up career <laughs> just do it this show doing this show very proud of this show I think it's my best and uh, it's always nice to know that you're getting better and not worse at the thing that you love doing watching um, yesterday uh, there were so many callbacks a ridiculous amount of callbacks everything sort of was I know everything has to be functional in, yeah. in the time you have but everything was it was a web it was a mesh yeah I think well Mitch Hurwitz who did who created Arrested Development was like he said that his style came from the fact that he just realised it was sort of easy. You only have to write one joke uh, and then do it again. <laughs> but like for me, writing the stand-up shows, what I like is creating that little fun world where you go, oh, "This is like, this is the universe that Stuart exists in." And it's sort of quite a lot like ours. I sort of recognise it, but there's sort of some weird stuff going on, and I just feel like if you don't sort of if you say something and it is a useful it a useful part of the show then it it makes sense for it to be a through line so I wouldn't I I wouldn't sort of think of them as callbacks just more like it's a re recurring aspects because it all I try to write a show to exist within the same universes you know rather than in individual routines you go oh, there'll be some bleed between routines so it all feels part of a, a whole and even from show to show the titles you give them sort of work as a narrative don't they <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so the last my fifth show was called Stuart Law Stops um, and basically that was potentially I was going to stop doing shows um, just see how that went and it went just well enough for me to carry on going um, and then so this one is called Stuart Law's is all in and it's sort of like a return to it but going like right we're throwing everything at it um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Oh yeah, my early ones. Stuart Lewis, when's this going to stop? <laughs> Who said anything about stopping it? So preoccupied with whether or not he could, he didn't to stop. Didn't stop to think whether he should. Uh, and absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. They're just all movie quotes that I really, really liked. <laughs> and I just thought it was funny. To the first show was called Stuart Lewis. Absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Brackets one hour show. And I just thought that was funny. Because I love the Terminator. Yeah. Uh, and then I went. It'll be funny if I keep that going for the rest of my shows. But then it stops. I stopped doing that, and now this sixth show is a, a fresh start, and I'm all in. Where are you going to be able to go from being all in? Um, dead. Okay. <laughs> dead and loving it. Leslie Nielsen's dead and loving nice. it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't thought about another show yet. Yeah. Yeah. Very early days. Yeah, you've got to get this one. So, are you yeah. going to tour it after Edinburgh? Yeah, going to hopefully tour it next, uh, like winter, spring, sort of February, March, sort of time. Um, hopefully, take it to London, get a run there, um, and then, yeah, I think I'll have next Edinburgh off. I'm working on like a double act thing at the moment, um, and that will be my project for next year, live, comedy wise. I'd recommend, dear listener, getting to see uh, Stuart Laws is all in when it comes near you because it was absolutely brilliant. So let's move into the grist. I don't think that's even yeah. a word, is no, it? No, I like it. Um, so what is your top ten on? Top ten is uh, top ten film trailers. Top ten film trailers. So how have you selected the list? What what for you makes a good trailer? Uh, you want to you want to be in the cinema and it come on. And you'd be like, I don't know what this 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 thing is. Immediately be hooked and be out of it, being like, I cannot believe that they're releasing a film like this, and I can't watch it yet. You want to be like, I'm so livid that I can't see this film for another two months. 
Um, I remember I think the first time that ever properly happened to me was the Mission Impossible 2 trailer uh, which is also the leading candidate for uh, best trailer worst film which is uh, you, you don't want that as your ratio um, but I remember seeing that in the in this cinema and being like oh my goodness and then early internet trying to track it down to just re-watch it as many times as I could and be like this film is going to be incredible and um, so we're going literally on trailers as you say like yeah it could be the best trailer in the world we're, we don't care about the film yeah film quality is, is irrelevant it's how good a job they've done with the trailer because um, there's like stories of like The Siege which is a 1999 film with Bruce Willis um, where loads of people the the opening weekend box office was really high for it because it had the trailer for Star Wars Phantom Menace and loads of people were just going because they wanted to see the trailer for Phantom Menace yeah. whereas that obviously wouldn't happen now because it would be online very quickly Um so that's a case where people are paying money to go and watch a trailer um, it's an art form making a good trailer and not giving away too much and again bringing it back to your body of work you've got a lot of short films and sketches on YouTube your YouTube channel is prodigious it's just the, the amount that you've, you're churning out and the speed you're churning out and a lot of them are quite short so it sort of makes sense that this is your subject because your own work is sort of informed yeah. in the main by yeah. getting the point across quickly yeah I think it, if you do stand up that's a very key thing so I direct stand up shows as well and uh, often sort of the job can be working out what the joke that someone's trying to tell is and then being like right how can we sum up the start of that in a sentence so the entire audience knows what is about to happen because the biggest problem in stand-up is having an audience of people being like, what, what's happening here? And trying to catch up because then their brain is think, trying to work out something and they're not taking in all the rest of the information. And I think a trailer is very good at being like, here you go, this is everything you need to know. Um, I think working in like film sketch comedy, I guess, is that. Sketches, you've got to have a very clear setup and then a very clear punchline. It's got to be pretty straightforward stuff and you've got to be clear with your visuals and everything is this a ranked list or is it just 10 things uh, I've got a top one but That's the good. rest I don't I don't, wouldn't know how to rank them okay so yeah. the the first one you'd like to talk about the so called 10th on the list in no particular order is we'll start with Mission Impossible 2 I've already mentioned it uh, it is I'd loved Mission Impossible came out in 96 uh, Mission Impossible 2 I think was 2001 and it had John Woo as the director who I loved as a director I thought this is going to be great face off, broken arrow, hard boiled had been made all these great films so I was excited, went to the cinema and it has the uh, Limp Biscuit version of the theme tune ding 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 ding, ding, ding. and uh, Tom Cruise free climbing this the Grand Canyon and getting a message which he could hear on his cool Oakley sunglasses and uh, then saying this message will self-destruct and everyone being like oh my god it's all the stuff and he throws the glasses away and they explode as they as he throws them away and then there's like 30 seconds of incredible action of like motorbikes fighting and doves flying and I and with the like rock the new metal version of Mission Impossible theme tune and I was so like oh my goodness me I was 16, 17 and so I was I couldn't believe it Tom Cruise was a very cool guy back then yeah <laughs> well, I mean he still is a very cool guy but with uh, certain issues surrounding him um, and I, I walked past the Scientology really building around the corner yeah I think he's an incredible movie star and I'll watch anything that he's in and um yeah, the, that trailer was like the first one that I'd seen, I think for the first time in the cinema and being like, this is gonna be the film of the summer. And then spending like, yeah, going home, finding it on the internet, waiting for two hours for it to download, <laughs> watching it <laughs> repeatedly and repeatedly and just counting down the days that it came out. And then when it came out, just being like, oh, 
it was terrible and I hadn't I'd, I'd only ever seen one film before in the cinema that I thought was bad and it was like because I just loved going to the cinema and so it'd been like that was really disappointing to be like how have I not enjoyed this I've watched it back a few times since and it's definitely not good no um, so yeah that I will open with that because it's the sharpest drop off between trailer and quality of film um, yeah and they should have used cheaper sunglasses, really, if they're just going to be blowing them up willy nilly. Exactly. Why does it need to be Oakley? <laughs> that was the coolest brand to have when I was younger. Everyone wanted to have an Oakley sunglasses. Mm. And as well as all the boom, crashy, masculine stuff that happens, it also sets out a really sexist sort of thing in in oh. the trailer itself, doesn't it? With yeah. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins saying, "To go to bed and lie to him, she's a woman. She has all the training she needs." Yeah, there's a lot of questionable stuff in that film when you look back at it now, Cause especially considering the new where the Mission Impossible series is now, is like you know, fair, like they've done a lot of effort to make it more of a uh, female-friendly environment. Uh, whereas back then, the villain Do Grace Scott, he says the line women are like monkeys they don't let go of one branch until they've got hold of the next and at the time I remember being like oh even as a 16 17 year old <laughs> before I'd sort of even you know fully understood like feminism and uh, not being a fucking dickhead I still was like that seems like kind of a bit of a, a bit of a harsh line but I guess he's the villain so he's allowed to have dodgy gender politics uh, but yeah you, that Anthony Hopkins line is also like Oh, the people who wrote this don't like women. They have some issue. <laughs> yeah. Next on the list. Next on the list, uh, let's go with The Blair Witch Project. So, 99. Uh, the Blair Witch Project, I love it. I know a lot of people don't like it. Um, but it was like the first film that used viral marketing, really, to like get it, get the buzz before it came out. And they released a clip which was just a very short clip that ended with uh, Heather, I think her name is, the character. Um, sort of that famous shot where it's like she's scared and you can see the snot coming out of her nose. And it was like a very quick, like, I think it's like 47 seconds or something like that. And um, it was re you know, released online and like rumors spread that the people who were in the film were now dead and they weren't put on IMDb and all of these sort of things. And it just made the internet go crazy for like, this film is going to be amazing. And it was a great trailer, really perfect like level of like, it sells exactly what the, sh the film is and what to expect from it, but gave you absolutely no information about what the film is about or how it ends or anything like that, um, which is the absolute sort of the dream. Um, and yeah, the film is, is great. and. To, it obviously had copied a few the style or would have been influenced from various other sort of films but it was the first one that had sort of taken that style and had done it and made it break through to the mainstream and now you know well then it changed cinema forever and everyone wanted to do that sort of style and it's become quite tired now but every now and then you sort of still get a found footage film coming through like Wreck was yeah that was up there wasn't it I like but, I like a found footage film I sort of like that sort of energy and I like just seeing like was Chronicle was that that, that superhero film um, it was good uh, Cloverfield as well I think it's just a fun thing to do if you can apply it to different genres because horror is the obvious one to do there's that film Searching with John Cho where he his daughter goes missing and the whole film's done through his laptop screen. Yep. So you get to see like emails come up, he's doing like FaceTime with people and again it's just like a really inventive way of doing like a thriller. Um, because then you know, the strongest thing you can do is not show someone something because what your brain can imagine is way worse. So there's you know, big gaps in where you know, you can't see certain bits because it wasn't filmed or it wasn't on the news or that so you fill in the gaps and the same with Blair Witch Projects is you're not seeing the Blair Witch so it's scarier what it could possibly be 
Yeah. And was this inspirational to a young Stuart Laws? Oh, I def- almost definitely did some found footage stuff when I was making films as a teenager. Um, yeah, it's definitely... It's such a fun way to be able to do it. And actually, we did. I did do a short film up in Edinburgh in 2011, which is sort of a found footage film. It's, ba- it's, uh, it's called Evidence DH187, and it's a... Uh, a film about a group of teachers who are told to do a video diary um, because it's one of the projects they're going to do at school is a video diary so they ask the teachers to do it first so the kids know how to do it and I got a group of us including A. Castor and a few other comedy friends to do to be these teachers and then over the course of all of our video diaries it's telling the story of uh, someone I think who has been killed and you're working out who potentially is the one who could have done it. I think it's like a half-hour film. Maybe it's 20 minutes. Uh, but it was, again, it was, like, inspired by that. And I thought it would be a fun thing where you can just... Each person's got their own storyline. We sit down, we record for, like, an hour of them doing sort of video diary excerpts. And then it's presented as, like, the evidence from the police trial uh, of who potentially did the, did the murder. No, I haven't watched it in a few years. It might be very bad, but uh, I think it, I think it's fine. I think it holds up. And, yeah, uh, what I guess it gives you the licence to do is to just go out and not write a script, which I think to a lot of people is an absolute dream. Yeah. Yeah. And can people find that on the um, YouTube channel, the Turtle Canyon? It's not. I think it's on my personal YouTube channel. So, yeah, if you Google Evidence DH187, then I think it will it should come up and now I'm anxious about whether or not it is any good or not <laughs> so um, if you go to find it and it's disappeared yeah 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 you'll know that it is a bad film yeah lovely um, what's next on the list Stuart uh, let's go back in a, a bit of time and go to Hitchcock's The Birds I think Alfred Hitchcock is obviously famous for appearing in his own films but also his trailers he'd always do something a bit fun with them so trailers were very different back in like the 50s, 60s um, to what they are now. And they'd often just be sort of quite pedestrian, like, uh, you know, a, a big voiceover or like a big title screen saying, this is what happens in the film, here are the characters, off we go. Whereas Hitchcock would, like Psycho, the famous one, is where he would, he was in the, the set of the Bates Motel and he would give, he just gives you an entire tour of the entire motel and then he says now what happens in here is well I shouldn't go into it I mm-hmm. really shouldn't and moves on and it's like he's telling you the entire film apart from a couple of key plot details and it's really fascinating and The Birds is a similar one where he's sort of introducing you to the show to, to the film and to the, the various concepts of it and he's in the set of it um, just great he's just playing around he's being that sort of ultimate like in control of the marketing it's all part of the whole film and so like as we were saying earlier about the universe that you create Hitchcock creating a universe where he exists in it to tell you about the film but still not giving it away but he's also by being on the set he's teasing you he's adding to like the experience of the film um, without showing you any footage from the film and I think that's quite a fascinating thing it's a chunky old five minutes worth as yeah well. yeah um, and he'd do that a lot I think I think he did one for Rope as well because Rope is that film when I was younger I was obsessed with it because Rope is essentially one shot the entire thing so it's like almost like a play and the camera's moving about but it because obviously you could only film for like 12 minutes maybe or however long a film reel was it would move behind like a dark part of the set and then come out the other side and in that move they've chained reel and they're off again yeah um so he's always trying to use cinema to try to push the boundaries and to try stuff out and i really like that and i don't you know i i think that is partly why i like doing like stand-up or or scripted comedy or filmed comedies and want to 
you want to learn everything and how to do it and then you want to start pushing the boundaries and find what is possible in different directions and i think that's really fun to try out and it's so great that alfred hitchcock in the 50s and 60s just some old <laughs> old english dude is just going yeah 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 i'm gonna push these boundaries so far i'm gonna see what i can do i'm gonna do a trailer where i'm hosting it and i'm showing you exactly what happens and in what rooms it happens and that still works as a teaser and it gets people excited to see the film especially in an era where you wouldn't maybe think of it as being particularly experimental and that bird's one it's almost like a TED talk isn't it yeah yeah explaining what birds are yeah so <laughs> I was listening to your um, podcast series Breaking the Industry oh right yeah, um, yeah. that was very very informative and entertaining um, and if you were to do a TED talk could that maybe be one what would, what would your TED talk be on my TED talk would be on uh, well <laughs> potentially Tottenham Hotspur hey yeah are you a Spurs fan yes yeah uh, it would be either Tottenham Hotspur squads 1994 to 1999 or uh, 2011 to 2019 uh, or it would be films from sort of 96 to 2001 2002 time or like issues of Empire magazine I've still got like a few old ones that have made it from various house moves or it would be uh, I'm very interested in cognitive biases Wow! I don't know enough to do the TED talk on it so I'd want to have someone else write, write it and I'll, I'll punch it up I'll give it a few jokes um, very interested in uh, the tricks that our brain plays on us and uh, how we fool ourselves into thinking how rational we are. Uh, fascinated by all of that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's very interesting to sort of be aware of those things to try and help yourself to be uh, less guided by sort of uh, you know very silly decisions that your brain's trying to make you make. Uh, or high fructose corn syrup. That's yeah. That's a bit of a left turn at the end there. <laughs> High fructose corn syrup is my favourite sweetener, <laughs> more than sugar. Right. And uh, it's got a very bad rep in the in in Europe. Uh, it's used a lot in America because in the seventies, sugar cost a huge amount to import, um, and because there was various issues in like uh, around the world with American politics then, and so they decided, well, what we'll do then is we'll just put all of our money into corn high fructose corn syrup and then we don't need sugar and because we can grow corn in the US we don't need it so they sweeten all their drinks with that instead yeah. of sugar but um, the European Union sort of banned it and so there's a lot of sort of stories that it's been banned because it's bad for your health but actually it was sort of a protectionist thing to protect the sugar trade um, so high fructose corn syrup was banned and then sort of the stories that were get told is that your stomach can't break it down and it's really bad for you and it causes really bad things it's as bad for you as sugar and high amounts of sugar in the same way that everything is poisonous for you in high enough doses uh, and once it's in your stomach it gets broken down in exactly the same way that sugar does and it doesn't it's not it's not more bad for you than sugar uh, but it has this like ring around it that is this is an evil horrible thing um, and I, I'd like to talk about it because it's because uh, it's tasty. <laughs> when you have Mountain Dew that's been made in Europe, it, it tastes terrible. Yeah. When you have it from America, it's the best thing that I've ever tasted. <laughs> yeah. So what? that's it. High fructose corn syrup. And what is one of the best uh, film trailers that you've ever seen? Oh, uh, that's tenuous on it. Lovely bit that. of work, actually. Clunk. Let's go with Jurassic Park. Ninety-three. I didn't get to see it in the cinema. Um, so I knew all about it before it came out and I'd seen the trailer I, I, probably back then it had just been a TV trailer or something like that, a TV spot um, before we get into it that's a fun thing when films, you have you have your teaser trailer you have trailer 1, you have trailer 2 and then you have TV spots and then the way that they're marketed the way that films are marketed is a very interesting thing so Moulin Rouge is a big camp musical beautiful beautiful film but I worked as a projectionist 
and there was two trailers for Moulin Rouge one that would go in for films targeted towards teens and one that would go into films targeted towards older more musical friendly people um, and the one that was in for with teen films had no one in it singing it had all like the music and that but it was like done sold as a love story that had a cool soundtrack whereas the one to older people had all the singing and had all the musical elements so it was sold as a musical with a big love theme to it um, because they knew that by targeting teens with that they could trick them into coming to see a musical knowing that once they were in they'd enjoy it sneaky bastards yeah um, and so I probably saw a TV spot of Jurassic Park which made me be like oh my goodness me I love dinosaurs because I'm a child <laughs> and I cannot wait to, to see this never got to see it at the cinema and it was such a big moment to see it on VHS back then but the trailer is a very simple push in on the egg sort of cracking the velociraptor egg and it's like and stuff about how you know releasing uh, getting the DNA uh, from mosquitoes so it's actually fairly perfunctory it shows almost nothing about it it's basically saying here's the science of what we've done and here's a hint about what we've done with that, that science I think even at a young age I was like ooh, 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 science uh -huh. is good that's fun um, yeah and I mean there's other tra there's other trailers for it as well they're all glorious because they've got the music in it which is the best music ever written for a film yeah. apart from maybe uh, Interstellar and the visuals still hold up you know 26 years later um, which cannot be said for a lot of films that uh, were you know coming out maybe 10-15 years ago um, and it's by far one of the best films ever made they seem um, to struggle with weight don't they with CGI like you don't always get a sense of weight but that didn't yeah. seem to be an issue in Jurassic Park did it I, I think one of the big problems with it is when they do camera shots that are impossible to do so when a camera is swooping around and doing stuff where you're like I know that that's not you can't do that with a camera and so you're watching it and being like this is all very much impossible so I can't get on board with it so yeah. there's like that it's the uncanny uncanny valley of like it's so close but it's not quite whereas there are maybe Jurassic Parks are not quite as good but because they very rarely use CGI and they did so many like models and puppets that that combination and the fact that it was all integrated within real environments means that it, it just stands it works your brain just assimilates it all whereas now a lot of the time they're not just a CG character it's the environment has been changed the the camera's doing a move swishing off somewhere <laughs> plus um, yeah, I, I know there's like sh bits like Bad Boys 2 opens with a shot where it starts in a helicopter and then it dives down into the city through a grate like an air conditioning grate and into a club all the way down to a pill being crushed up on a table real close up and it's like four shots combined into one with CGI linking it and various elements but I, if I watch it back frame by frame you can see where the CGI parts are but you don't notice it because the shot just works as a, yeah. like a cool thing in the same way that David Fincher in Panic Room you know does a shot but he uses CGI to put like a coffee pot in the way so it goes through the shot goes through the the arm of a coffee pot and you're like okay just because that the shot works but he's just put something in that makes it look even more impressive in the same way in um, uh, Citizen Kane Orson Welles obviously didn't use CGI but there's a shot for the fairground where it pushes in and then goes through the sign which back then people would have been like that's, that's impossible how have you done that and they just had a, the sign of the fairground be mechanically it moved as the shot got close enough so that the camera could go through it so it's using the tools that you've got to make everything to enhance everything and not to be like well let's just create something entirely new and different that no one's ever ever seen I think Sma is it Smaug the dragon in Hobbit right yeah the shots with him are crazy they're constantly swishing about everywhere and you're just like oh, 
no, I don't. And you, you go, the only thing that's real in this environment is Tim from the office just having a chat with the dragon. Yeah. So I can't buy in on it. Can't buy in. Um, yeah. So Jurassic Park to just t- that trailer. The trailer is like a little masterclass of like, again, in the same way that Blair Witch Project went. His, we're not showing you anything about the film really, but we're also, we're summing up the entire film. We're giving you everything you need to know. And at that point you could be like, stop, don't watch any more. Don't see any other trailers because it will ruin it for you. Um, so yeah, I think maybe that's that's the key. A lot of these are teaser trailers. They're the very first things designed to just really get you excited about the film. And then when they go longer and in more depth, sometimes that's when you lose because you give too much information. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very fun teaser for Godzilla, which is, which, when did that? Lost World, Jurassic Park 2 came out in 97, and then Godzilla was coming out in 98. And so they put the trailer, I think they put the trailer for it before The Lost World. And it was um, a group of school kids being given a tour of a museum and then um, they're talking about how the T-Rex is like the biggest uh, you know carnivore that had roamed the planet or something like that and and everyone's like "Ah!" and then a big like foot just smashes down and crushes the T-Rex skeleton and they look up and it's Godzilla walking past and it was like a you know it was like a 20 second teaser that was designed as a like a hey Jurassic Park you think you've got big monsters we're even better and that is a quite a fun way of selling what would turn out to be a terrible terrible film yeah marvellous so in no particular order next trailer so let's go with Anchorman now Anchorman just a funny funny trailer no one really knew about Will Ferrell properly then especially in the UK um, there was like he'd appeared in like little things here and there um, like old school um, and he was known for being like this fun extra like supporting cast member who would inject some mania but Anchorman was the very first of him leading the film and well apart from Night of the Roxbury which I think was a disaster it was a spin-off of his SNL character um and just the trailer is so fun and it sets up the world so perfectly of these newsreaders from the 70s and uh you know really stupid jokes but like really clear like moments and the way that the film was made meant that a lot of those moments didn't even make it into the film because a lot of it was like different takes that they used because there was so much improvisation and such a good ensemble cast that um, the trailer almost acts as like a bonus little extra bit of film where you get to see Steve Carell just say really stupid stuff Uh, you've got you know lots of cameos that are teased and it's very I think it's difficult to do a trailer for a comedy film because a lot of comedy is reliant on you getting into the swing of it you knowing the characters and the pacing of a scene that builds to like a punchline or a bit of slapstick so to be able to do one where you're like yeah that looks really funny all those lines work and I can't wait to see it I think it's a a real uh, talent to sell a comedy with lots of different clips uh, over like 90 to 120 seconds because I guess the other alternative is you just do a scene and you just go here's a scene but then that's not high impact enough so yeah comedy is in a weird position where you need to be high impact but often comedy is reliant on the pacing which if you make it really fast paced you lose so the fact that Anchorman trailer was so good is a great it's a great sign I don't know if I saw the right one that you're talking about um, but I saw there was a few, there's a couple to make it even more confusing I saw one that sort of started on him not realising he was on air is that yeah. the main one? Uh, I think so, so yeah yeah so um, that sort of in itself it, it was, as you say it, you need the pace you need yeah. to and they let that bit run quite long oh maybe that's not that one then yeah that sounds like a good one of the later ones maybe. yeah that sounds like a good good idea because then you, you're selling it on Ron Burgundy you're being like here you, you've entirely set up his character because those bits are him being a complete idiot um, 
so that's yeah that sounds like a, a better what potentially way of doing the trailer for a comedy film um, which is also useful the way that that film is set up and that it's newsreaders so you immediately if you watch that your brain is like I've seen this sort of thing before I know what I'm, I know what I should expect here and then when he obviously is saying crazy stuff then it's an easy your brain's like that's an easy leap to make to understand why this is all funny without the context of the whole film so Stuart you have to make a you have to remake this in the British language who are you going to have in your news team in my news team uh, I'd have Holly Byrne straight away I don't know if you know Holly Byrne she's a character comedian and she is absolutely brilliant and fearless on stage uh, would be great to have her in there have like Joel Domet as the uh, the extremely good looking one who's totally willing to do really stupid stuff and undermine that uh, that good lookingness um, uh, I mean surely you've got to chuck Phoebe Waller-Bridge in there seeing as she is now in everything deservedly because she's absolutely great it'd be great to have that sort of edge to it she'd be an anchor or weather or I think she'd be the anchor uh, with Joel and Joel would be this really stupid one um, and then you'd have Holly Byrne on weather um, um, so I get, a sport and investigative journalist yeah sport you'd have Annie McGraw and Lou Sanders I did a web series with them where about the World Cup um, so they'd be perfect as sport and then investigative let's have James Acaster on investigative journalist as I've done a lot of going out in the field doing documentaries with him so that that's the team that's a strong team I that's think. a very strong team yeah. so he could be going out and testing puddings he's again, testing puddings <laughs> he's trying he's constantly trying to go back to his hometown yeah that's oh, that's my team I like that I'm very happy with that in fact we pitch it yeah straight away done yeah so what would your what would your rock would you be directing oh, I've just realised I need we, we need Lolly on Lolly Adafope on uh, music she's there in the studio just providing like a musical backdrop to anything oh fabulous yeah you always <laughs> need that yeah um, my I guess I'm running the auto queue. I'm just programming the auto queue. which is a very important job yeah it's very important you've got to get it right and you've got to pace it so yeah that's what I'll do and would you be throwing in bits just to confuse Joel? <laughs> uh, the, the question mark, for example. I chuck a question mark. I chuck in one of those ampersands uh, and some of those weird, like, tiny little ones that you don't know what they mean at the top left of the keyboard, but under the escape key. Nice. Yeah. Next. Next up, what have we got? We've got Terminator 2. That is another classic teaser. Terminator had come out, like six years six seven years before and it had been like this you know horror thriller uh that had, you know had become like a pop culture reference point arnie was now a big big star and so terminator 2 they shifted everything to make it a big summer action thriller rather than a, a horror dark 18 rated it was a 15 um and the tr the teaser is basically an Arnold Schwarzenegger being made a, t a T800 um, and it's just the production line and obviously we knew him as the villain and so everything about it is here's the villain of your next of the new Terminator 2 and so everything was based around the marketing of Arnie's back and we know he's the villain but now he's such a big star this is gonna be fascinating so when the film came out and he was the good guy it was a massive twist it must have been a massive twist to everyone um, I remember being so I think I saw it before Terminator so it was like it was a twist that he was a villain uh, um, but yeah that is so the, the trailer is uh, just going along the production line of all these robots being made and then it all being put together and then Arnie stepping out and it being like oh here we go um and I think that's just great. Again, you're not giving away plot points. You're just saying, you're just basically saying to everyone, here's some cool stuff. You're interested? Of course you're bloody interested. Look at Arnie. Look at these ro robots. Um, yeah, and I think that is, it's great. I haven't watched any of the other trailers for it, but that that initial teaser one is so perfect. And the film is glorious. I yeah. watched it with, 
in a cinema a few years ago and I because I'd only ever watched it by myself on VHS I didn't realise how funny it was because you'd watch it and when you watch funny stuff by yourself often you're just like oh yeah and then you're in a, ro a room full of other people and they're all laughing and you're like oh yeah it's really really funny film this is a great summer blockbuster yeah and the trailer reminded me a little bit how's this for a 10 years link yeah. reminded me a little bit of that Honda advert that's the Rube Goldberg yeah, machine yeah. where all the bits fall into place and of course you directed a Rube Goldberg show didn't you um, Alex Horn's Monsieur Butterfly yeah we did that day. we filmed that it was a lot of fun did you speak about it with Alex yeah yeah um, and it's there were hasn't been seen publicly yet but it's such a great show I mean Alex is incredible and you know now his life is very different to what it was back then when we were filming it and I think Taskmaster was on TV then but it was like the first or second series and now it's sold to America and everything like that but yeah filming that was like a thing of like oh we need to make sure we get the key to that is that it all happens in one shot and yeah. you're not like tricking the audience with it um, but I imagine did, was it a stressful thing for him that show I'd imagine so there's a lot yeah. to go wrong but how do you plan like the recording of it and did you direct as in direct the uh, uh, just the filming yeah yeah so I only came on board right there at the last minute just to film it um, so yeah I imagine whoever directed if he had a director or, I know that Alex is a genius and is you know coming up with all those ideas and that stuff so he probably developed it all himself but it must be quite an undertaking to to build something like that and then make it work in a live environment and to be able to be buildable throughout a show spectacular but the shooting of it must have been an undertaking in itself yeah I think it um, the main thing I like to do with filming stand-up comedy is making sure you get that live feel to feel like oh yeah this is a live show where anything could go wrong and it's a good energy to it so like we had a camera that could roam we had one that followed him the venue he's quite you know he moves around quite a bit and he went backstage and we had a camera follow him downstairs and out the room and up the into the gallery and all of that sort of stuff uh yeah for me is that that's the main thing is how can you remind the audience that this is a live thing and they're watching it and feel that energy and not feel like it's all just been chopped up into little tiny bits um, but yeah the rest of the majority of stand up you just need to spend on a close up or a mid of the comedian performing but if there's ways during it that you can add in elements that make it feel exciting and live then that's a bonus and also you've directed stand up shows themselves like with taking cameras out of the equation. yeah the live shows yeah so how how it always mystifies me what sort of input you would have as a director it changes depending on the person um so i've worked with a few people on their debuts and with their with debuts uh they're quite tough because often you are doing your first hour and you've got like three or four years of experience behind you and you want to take all your best material from those three or four years and combine them into a debut but you're used to only doing five and ten minute spots and so the rhythm of an hour is very different you can't maintain the same over ten minutes you can just be straight out the gate high energy high tempo bang that's the whole show Whereas over an hour you've got to feel you've got to give the audience the feel that it's heading somewhere and that they're comfortable with you and that they can relax and they can be like oh yeah we don't have to be constantly being shouted out or joke 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 you've got to give them a rhythm um, so on debuts I quite like working with people to like work on their performance and how they can find the story and how to perform it over the course of an hour whereas with people who are maybe a few few shows deep it's quite fun to just be coming up with ideas to be like throwing ideas about of being like well what if we this is what happened here or trying to convert what they want from the show into into a structure that would work rather than on performance because a lot of the time people three or four shows in of like really nailed performance and if they haven't by that stage then obviously work on it but um 
yeah, it's it's interesting. You can you guy you can either go fully on performance, and I've done that with people, or you can go fully on like just come up with ideas, throw it around, see what happens, and keep trying them out. Next on the list, Tree of Life, by Terence Malick. It's a lovely trailer. I really love the film. A lot of people hate the film because it is very long, and it's very uh, wanky. If yes. I can say wanky. Um, I'm one of those people, I'm afraid. Yeah. But the trailer is beautiful. The trailer is beautiful, and the music is so good. The score for that film is just absolutely amazing. Um, and some of the visuals in the film are absolutely beautiful, and you've got such a beautiful cast, and it's shot incredibly. Um, and the trailer, you've like you're watching it like, what the hell is this going to be? Because it's like modern day, but it's uh, you know fifties, but there's also like some weird stuff going on that you're like how on earth is that linking in and you see the film you're like if you're in your school you're like well it doesn't link in what are you doing what are you playing at um and i just i think i saw the film i saw that trailer and was like woof i don't know what that is and i'm not a massive terence malick film because i don't really i find him quite ponderous and quite like like the thin red line came out at the same time as saving private ryan and Saving Private Ryan is great, and it's about the horrors of war. And the Thin Red Line is set in the Pacific during the, in the Pacific co- um, conflict, and it constantly has shots of like the wildlife and all of that going on throughout it. Uh, so that his point is: look at men having these wars whilst the rest of the planet still ex- tries to exist and gets affected by it. And you're like, yeah, 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 get it, yeah, yeah. Some wildlife died. Very sad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah okay we're saving private Ryan you're like oh my god this is horrible um and that shouldn't be the point of either film but like I feel like saving private Ryan weirdly just had a bit of a it's definitely more mainstream but it just felt more powerful than Terence Malick having a bit of a navel gazing sort of film but Tree of Life is way more navel gazing is way more like pretentious but I was just in the right mood and I absolutely loved it and the three hours or however long it is just flew by and that trailer was the thing that had sold it for me of be like come and watch this film it might be slow it might be it's sort of ethereal and difficult to connect with but it's going to be an experience and I think that's the job of a, a trailer is to sort of sell it and it, again it didn't really give anything away about the film and some would say the film doesn't give anything away about the film <laughs> but I loved it yeah I do feel a it's one of those I need to revisit as you say like if you're in the wrong mood yeah oh man absolutely it's not the film to watch if you're not in the mood for it the same with Roma I watched Roma and I was like I took ages to watch it because I wanted to make sure I was in the right mood because it's a black and white three hour film in Spanish language I was like I'm going to have to be in the right mood for this and then I did and the first 15 minutes I was like glancing at my phone every now and then and I just went what am I doing threw the phone across the road like across the room and then the rest of the film just flew by it's just so beautiful um, and that's the difficult thing with film sometimes is you're not if you don't fully give to it, it it's tough to enjoy it and the same with comedy shows I had someone in yesterday who from this first second had his head in his hands because he's probably had a hangover and didn't stop doing that for the rest of the hour and you just go yeah of course you're going to come away and be like Stuart Lords was terrible at comedy <laughs> and maybe that's true but you didn't you didn't give the show a chance so it's difficult to judge so as a performer how are you if he's doing it so early in the show as well are you able to just give him a pass and think well, he's probably hung over or yeah some do people you take you it definitely personally do that. Or? if they're not you know he didn't look like he was agitating to leave he just looked like oh, I'm here for the next hour I'll just get on with it but it can have an effect on the room and there's been times where I've kicked people out I've said you just gotta leave because you're being you're disrupting the show and you're ruining it for everyone else and you just gotta make a judgement in the moment to be like how essential is this to the success of the rest of the show Um, and if someone is actively ruining it then you gotta as a comedian I'm like well I just need to say something I need to sort this out and if you're just having a quiet one because it's a quiet day and people are a little bit tired you just go you know what I'll just do the show as best as I can and 
people probably are enjoying it more than you think they are just everyone watches things in different ways and I know I've watched comedy shows that I've loved and just been a bit quiet because you've been I'm laughing for five tired. days in a row yeah, and your yeah. face aches exactly yeah 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 next on the list so the last three I've got are science fiction I always like science fiction trailers because you get you get basically a show some incredible imagery that you maybe haven't seen before you get to you know set up a world and often trailers for science fiction can be a chance to be like here's a little primer a little primer to like be like here's what to expect get yourself set up for this um and so this one is inception which is by my favorite filmmaker uh christopher nolan and his trailers are always an event in my life i'm absolutely can't wait because every single trailer is like t- is the first trailer is always a perfect teaser trailer from him of being like here's here's what to expect and it's completely different yet familiar it's like oh my god he's doing he's doing a space film I can't wait but it feels different to normal space films yeah. he's doing Batman oh my goodness <laughs> oh you know and Inception I feel like is it introduced that Thing that's become a trope now which is the sort of sound for drama um, and it sort of perfectly sets up the multi-level action sequences and the maze the mind being a maze and all of these elements and it was like it showed you those images that you haven't seen before like the the fight in the hallway where they're floating in and it seems like everything's going wrong the person coming out of the bath with all the water like all these things we like how does this fit and then the folding sort of cityscape and you're like I don't understand what this film's going to be but I love all of the components to it already and Nolan will do a, a great job of it he also doesn't, he barely shows you any of the cast he shows you that Leonardo DiCaprio is in it you see the back of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and that's it and considering that film's got Tom Hardy in it um you know, it's got Ken Watanabe, it's got Ellen Page in it, and it's, uh, you know, it's just a great cast that come together and you just go, he doesn't need to show you that because he's Christopher Nolan. He's going to show you this world that he's created. And the same thing with Interstellar, the same thing with The Prestige, and his new film Tenet. He hasn't put the trailer online. You can only see it in the cinema. Wow. And so he's gone back to that old school thing that made me excited where the first time you saw a trailer was on the big screen with a room full of other people and you feel that energy of like, whoa, here we go. Which is great. And he's got that Hitchcock vibe of someone who's like, he's a film purist and he wants to use every avenue possible to heighten your enjoyment of the entire film. And I think that is great. And with Bewitch playing in the background, hopefully not too loudly, what's your penultimate film on the list? Well, the, it's another Hitchcock-type person. It's uh, the film Unbreakable. So M. Night Shyamalan has a similar thing. He's a punchline, really, these days. Um, but Unbreakable is his second big film. He did The Sixth Sense, and everyone was like, oh my goodness me, this guy is great. He's done this taut, tight ghost thriller with a massive twist. And I love twists. Um, Stuart Laws is all in as a, a tantamount to that. Beast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I reference one of his twists in my show, I say, which is uh, The Twist in the Village. Very slight reference. Uh, but what I loved about Unbreakable Trailer was that I loved Sixth Sense and thought it was great as a 15 year old having my mind blown by a filmmaker like that. And I loved like the usual suspects and anything that had a twist was like yeah I really want this Um, and so when the trailer for Unbreakable came out it literally completely chilled me and made me go I can't believe that people can make films like this can come up with this because the whole thing is just that one shot pushing very slowly in on Bruce Willis on a hospital bed uh, and he's being in the foreground is like a body but you don't really know what's going on there and a doctor's explaining to him that he is shortly going to be the only survivor 
from a train crash the train derailed blah 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 um, but not only the only survivor you don't seem to have a scratch on you and I remember being at the time being like that's the best setup to a film yeah and you think about jokes you think about like you know writing pictures or anything like that as a setup you go train crash one survivor not a scratch on them great that's a mystery I want to be solved and that's what trailers again it should be the trailers going here's your mystery come and watch the two hour solving of it yeah and Unbreakable does that perfectly and I think it is potentially my favourite ever film and I think it's a work of art <laughs> and the trailer adds to it and M. Night Shyamalan does that the trailer for Signs again was a big misdirect it looks like a design as a misdirect the trailer for The Village huge misdirect the trailer for The Village is like come watch this horror film and the film is not a horror film and that's why loads of people didn't like it because they were like you tricked us and you go that's his job he's tricking you that's entirely what M. Night Shyamalan's setup is is to lead you down one way and then go ah 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 we're actually going this way uh, and I feel like some people don't appreciate that about him and just think oh he's just that guy who's a couple of tricks and I don't like that he did that to me in the same way that after a while people get bored of magicians because a magician's job is to be the smartest person in the room and people don't like when people are smarter than them um, but also M. Night Shyamalan made some terrible films <laughs> but he's back I it enjoyed is, yeah. Mr. Glass uh, uh, I enjoyed Glass I thought it was fun it wasn't quite as good but it, it was like an enjoyable ad addition to it to the, to the series yeah so that I like again he, in the same way as Hitchcock the same way that Nolan uses used trailers to enhance the experience of the film um, and my favourite trailer of all time is The Matrix because as a 15 year old I watched that trailer a thousand times and when that trailer came out I'd heard nothing about the film it was on a CD-ROM that came with Empire I think or it like, had been like here's a trailer of CDs maybe it come with Total Film or Neon or something like that and I remember just being like alright let's watch some of these trailers on, on this fancy new PC I've got and then we'd been like what is this film and there'd been no pre-release it hadn't been any hype it hadn't been like now where everything's leaking on the internet and it's people people are like this is going to be the best film like what happened with snakes on a plane and then everyone was like oh it's a bad film this was just something that i felt like i had discovered by myself and like the music in it i can still remember it's like i've got it on my laptop still um the visuals were totally unlike anything i'd seen i couldn't work out how it would work in the film what the film would be but the visuals were incredible remember Joe Pantoliano saying because Kansas is going bye bye <laughs> and being like that's a cool line um, and then the immediate shot of Trinity and Neo sort of ascending up the uh, the elevator shaft um, yeah it's just an absolute perfect combination of music visuals cool lines and an entirely new sort of cinematic experience teasing those bullet time moments and as a 15 year old I could not believe that a film like that was getting released um, and that I had discovered it even though obviously it was a bit it's a Warner Brothers film with a massive budget and I was watching a CD-ROM that loads of other people had but it felt like oh my goodness this is the film that I'm excited about and I could tell people about it and be like you've got to see The Matrix it's going to be amazing and then going to see it at Jared's Cross Odeon which I then worked out when I was older, but seeing it and just having my mind blown, just great, really good. And was there much of a gap between seeing the trailer and actually seeing the film? Yeah, I think the trailer, I saw it in maybe March time, and it didn't come out. When did it come out? Was it May, June, July, something around there? Yeah, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I remember it being a good couple of months of being like, come on, I need this film to come out, I need to see it. And, you know, then there not being any extra ways of seeing more trailers or anything like that, because the internet definitely didn't have enough to have little trailers on it, I don't think, then. And so when TV started to show TV spots of it, I was like, this is the best thing ever, because there's more footage I can watch now. Yeah. Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you for so much longer, but Thank suddenly you. you need to leave. Yes, I also need to wee. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to go before you get to your next gig yeah thank you very much absolute pleasure thank you cheers Stuart
That was Stuart and his top 10 trailers. The short film he mentioned that he made backstage at the Edinburgh Fringe one year uh, is still up on YouTube, so hopefully he didn't hate it uh, when he looked back at it. I've watched it. Evidence DH187. Really enjoyed it. Recommend you watch it too. And while you're there, there are tons of other things to watch, both on his channel and also the Turtle Canyon channel. While still at the Fringe, I chatted to Callie Beaton off the back of her show Invisible. So to avoid FOMO, uh, tune in next Monday for that one. In the meantime, you can support the podcast by rating and subscribing on your podcast app. Or you could be my first person to donate on Patreon. No one's, no one's, um, no one's donated anything. Just keep plugging away, bankrupting myself. You can follow my top 10 on Twitter and Instagram. But come back next week for Cowie. Bye, bye.